currently in a series, if you're newer here, on intentionality. And I don't know if you're like me, going through this COVID season, the word that hits me is disorientation. I'm just disoriented. Like, all the things that I've worked so hard to establish, they just suddenly are gone. I'm, I'm getting in my routine at the gym, boom, it's gone. Uh, closer relationship with friends, developing new skills at work, it just feels like it evaporates. And so what I'm being reminded by this season is that we have to be intentional because our natural state isn't to adhere to something more. Like if you notice that any of you have a, a, a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend, you don't grow closer naturally, do you? We naturally do this, don't we? So you have to be intentional in order for things to grow. Working out, relationships, you know, work, everything, it takes intentionality. And the focus of this sermon today is intentionality with our identity. So even when it comes to our identity, the most important thing that we have, we have to be intentional with it. And maybe you've heard this sermon before, maybe you've heard this message, but this is the thing I want to say to you. I'm so excited to bring this message to you today. This is this sermon is based on something that someone taught me a long time ago. My father-in-law, it's based upon a book that he, he wrote and I use for discipleship. But I love every time I go through it. And the reason is because I so quickly let go of what's most valuable to me, my identity. So as we look at this passage, what we're going to see is there's an authoritative message about who you are in the scriptures. And in order to hang on to who you are, your true identity, you need to cling to this message. So open your ears, let them perk up as you hear this message. It comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. It's a familiar passage, but I'm hoping that today the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to it in a new way. It's the temptation of Jesus. Uh, please, uh, you can read along with me if you'd like, or you can just listen. And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I'll give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will, if you then will worship me. It will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had entered every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. 
But in order for it to have power in our lives, in order for our lives to change and transform, when we listen to it, we need your Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts, to illuminate the truth, and to give us the strength to employ what is true, to live in the true narrative of the world, which comes from your authoritative pen. Please, O oh Lord, draw us close to you. Help us to hear the love message that you've written to us through this very passage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, anybody have student debt? I have student debt. <laughs> I think I'm in the majority here. Student debt is a thing nowadays. And during COVID, I had this amazing idea. It's a little opportunistic. I thought, you know, everyone's getting, you know, why don't I call them up, call Navian up and say, hey, since it's COVID, you know, it's so, you know, can you lower my, my debt, my student debt? So I called this number after Googling it up quick and, uh, and the woman on the other end was so gracious to me. She was so kind of, it was, it was amazing. She said, hold on a second. I'm holding for like a long time. Wonder should I just hang up? But eventually she comes back on. She says, I, I went and I talked to my supervisor. We can do this. Matter of fact, we can reduce your student debt by 90%. So you'll only have to pay the remaining 10%. Would you like to do that? Um, yes, thank you. Okay, so she says, okay, we're just going to need a little bit of information. Okay, so she starts getting my information. What's your social security? Boom, boom, boom. What's your address? Boom. What's your driver's license number? Okay. What's your debit card number? Wait a minute. Debit card. That doesn't sound right. Something about that isn't resonating. And you may know what was happening by this time. What was happening? I was being scammed. My identity was being stolen under my nose. My hopefulness, my exuberance about getting this debt reduced. I fell into it, and I always feel like I was so savvy, like I could see these things from a mile away, but I didn't. Um, I did call Experian and everything, so everything's covered. Don't worry about me. You can pray for me. But um, the point is this. We are far, far too easily deceived into giving away what is most valuable to us, our identity. We're far too easily deceived into giving away what's most valuable to us. Here's my info. Here it is. And the point of this sermon is that the Father has spoken authoritatively over you what your identity is. Since the Father has spoken authoritatively over you, he said who you are, we must not. We must no longer, let's stop jumping through hoops in order to prove who we are. It's been written. It's established. But yet we're constantly jumping through hoops in order to prove our identity. Uh, so there's a way in which this COVID time, this quarantine has been a COVID wilderness. And Jesus entered the wilderness of testing and we also we're in a type of wilderness, aren't we? We're disconnected from things that we're usually connected to. We're more disconnected than ever. We're disoriented. Um, there's other voices that start seeping in. You know when you're in isolation, voices, you hear your inner voices more loudly and you think, oh, is this what's really true? Is this the, is this the, the truth about me? And they come in and they begin diverting our attention away from the authoritative voice and to other things which are trying to steal our identity. 
So in order to regain our bearing, we must cleave to what has already been said, what has already been written about us. We have to cleave to this. And I guarantee I'll preach this to you today, but I'm going to need to be reminded of it this afternoon, maybe even in traffic on the way home. And someone cuts you off and gives you the finger and you're feeling like, you have to prove yourself. Like, no, I'm not. <laughs> we need to cleave to this message. Uh, the three points coming from this today, this passage, are this these, that God has spoken authoritatively over your life. You know that, that God has spoken authoritatively over your life. If you can imagine, there's a banner over your head right now, and it's saying, beloved son, beloved daughter. Uh, second point, you have a secure identity. You have a secure identity right now if you're a follower of Christ, but it's under attack. It's not just chilling there. It's under attack. Not just that you can drift from it. It's actually under attack. Uh, third point, you must embrace that identity or you will drift from it. So having an identity crisis isn't just like something you get and you forget about it like a driver's license. You have to embrace You have to cling to it. You have to bring it everywhere you go. Remind yourself of it. Put yourself in community with people who remind you of it. Read things daily that remind you of it. The Word of God, devotionals, listen to things. The first point, God has spoken authoritatively over your life. In this passage, we see the temptation of Jesus. And it's a familiar passage, right? But you have to read the Bible in context. Look back at the previous chapter, chapter 3. And what does it say? It says here in verse 22, it describes Jesus' baptism. There's all these people getting baptized, and even Jesus gets baptized. But something special happens. For our benefit and for Jesus' benefit, before he enters into the the most difficult job the world has ever seen, this three-year ministry, Jesus is baptized, and the heavens break open, and there's a voice that comes and says, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son. Jesus is God's Son. But he's not just his son, he's his beloved son. This is a warm, endearing term. It's my beloved son, and I'm pleased with him. No, I'm not just pleased. He had to go the extra mile and say, I'm well pleased with him. And this was the fuel that even God in the flesh needed to make it through this life. He needed to hear an authoritative voice that said, I love you. You're my son. I'm so pleased with you. Before he did anything in ministry, he didn't become a superstar and then, got, and then the father's like, yeah, you're awesome, you, know, you made it to the NFL. You, you know, he said, before his ministry started, this is my beloved son. He was a carpenter for 30 years before this. But this is my beloved son, and I'm well pleased with you. So there's a key here. An authoritative voice was spoken into Jesus' life in order for him to make it through the world that we live in. Jesus needs it. We need it. And the reality is is that we're often prone to believe the voice of condemnation. Don't we so quickly go to that? Romans 8.1 says, There's no condemnation in Christ. And I think the reason God had Paul write that scripture is because we are a lot more prone to go to that competing voice that says, No, you are condemned. 
And we can test this, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you think about something. When was the last time that you experienced some acute stress? Think of that. Maybe it was just an ordinary thing in the house, trying to get the kids ready. Maybe it was driving. Maybe it was a relational tension, boyfriend, girlfriend thing, uh, school, grade thing. When you're feeling this acute stress, and what do you start saying to yourself? You idiot. You're so stupid. You're a fool. I'm such a fool. We name her. I'm such a fool. Like, I'm naming myself contrary to what God has said. You're beloved. You're a son. You're a daughter. But we rename ourselves, and we accept this. You fool. You're ugly. You're stupid. I am so... And you just go to this voice of condemnation. There's many voices trying to, to name us all the time. I mean, it happened in Jesus' ministry. He was called the Son of God. The perfect one was called a drunkard, a glutton, demon-possessed. He was called all these things. You're not the Son of God. You're a teacher. You're a, all these voices were competing, and the same thing's happening with us right now. So many competing voices. Some of them are good. Some of them are, you know, you're a good student. You know what? You're actually more than a good student. So your student, your grades can, can falter. But your identity does not falter. You know, your health can falter. But your identity does not falter. So God has won, and his authoritative word over you wins. It's what's true. So we have to believe what God says. Um, there's a uh, movie that came out recently I thought it was pretty interesting. It's by Greta Gerwig. She wrote a, a movie called Lady Bird, and she also wrote, uh, did the, a remake of uh, Little Women. And she's just a brand new uh, director and producer, but she's been a hit. And the, the movie uh, Lady Bird is a, is a powerful coming-of-age story of a young girl She's in a, a Catholic school, and she lives in Sacramento, and she hates her life. Her name is Christine McPherson, and uh, she's a senior in this school. She decides, you know what, no one can label me. No one can say who I am and who I'm not. Um, they don't know. I'm going to rename myself. My name is now, call me Lady Bird. No longer Christine. And she's searching for uh, uh, an identity. And she's trying to speak that authoritative word herself. And as you watch it, it's actually a really powerful, thoughtful, and redemptive story. Um, there's, so, the young lady is searching for an identity. She goes to friend groups. She goes to popularity. She goes to boyfriend. She thinks it's going to be on the East Coast. It's going to be in a different city that has like more substance, more history, a prestigious college. That's where I'm going to get this sense of worth and dignity and value. Um, listen to this poem. It was, it was written by a man on death row. You don't get any deeper than in a person on death row. They're not superficial. Uh, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You may recognize that name. But he wrote this, this poem, and it's about identity, and it's about the authoritative voices competing in our lives. It's entitled, Who Am I? Who am I? They often tell me. I step out from my cell, composed, contented, and sure. 
like a lord from his manor. Who am I? They often tell me. I speak with my jailers frankly, firmly, and familiar, as though I was in command. Who am I? They also tell me I bear the days of hardship unconcerned, amused, and proud, like one who usually wins. Am I really what others tell me? Or am I only what I myself know of me? Troubled, homesick, ill, like a bird in a cage, gasping for breath as though one strangled me, hungering for colors, for flowers, for songs of birds, thirsting for kind words, for human company, quivering with anger at despotism and petty insults, anxiously waiting for great events, helplessly worrying about friends far away, empty and tired of praying, of thinking, of working, exhausted and ready to bid farewell to it all. Who am I? Am I this or the other? Am I then this today and the other tomorrow? Am I both at the same time? In public, a hypocrite, and by myself, a contemptible, whining weakling? Or am I to myself like a beaten army, flying in disorder from a victory already won? Who am I? Lonely questions mock me. Who I really am? You know me. I am thine, O God. And you see this inmate is wrestling. And he hears all these voices. Some people are, are saying, you're, you're amazing. Like, you're going through this like a champ. And yet he sees his inner self like, no, I'm not. I'm actually really quivering. I'm frightened. I'm scared to death. I don't even want to pray. I'm sick emotionally and mentally. So where do I go? Who is it? Is it, it? What combination is it? And he's like, no, he comes to clarity at the end. I'm thine, O Lord. O Lord, I am thine. Who am I? not based on my actions. It's based upon God's love that has been put upon me. I'm thine, O Lord. I have a question for you. Think about this. Who are you currently giving authority to to name you? It's coming from a source right now. There's competing sources right now. Who are you giving it to? Is it your status at work? Is it your status as married or single or with children? Is it your status as, I I feel like, in relationship to how your your friend groups, your loved one, your husband or wife, is it it based on that? Who are you giving that authority to? Because that authority only belongs to one person. And it is written. And it doesn't get erased. Is it your children? Is it, is it how your children are behaving in that moment? And they, if they act up, then you just lost it all. No, no, they just completely humiliated me. No, not even your children. Friends, boyfriend, career, no. The affirmation of the Father. It's only God who has the rightful authority to name you. And he has spoken in his word who you are. And in Christ, what he says about you is this. Behold, 
He's going to show this to the world one day. He's going to behold my beloved daughter. And I'm really pleased in her. That's who you are. So the point of this is there is an authoritative voice speaking over you right now. Wake up to it. Let's re-wake up to that. Remember, all the competing voices are going to keep on coming, but we've got to be intentional and cling to that authoritative voice. You don't have to prove. You have this gift from God. That's what the gospel is all about. The second point, you have an identity. You have this identity, and the enemy wants to steal it. It's under attack. Um, if you look at the, the passage again, you'll notice when the enemy slithers in. At an opportune time. It's an opportune time. And Jesus is hungry. He's physically vulnerable. He's isolated from people. You think it's by coincidence. And this is when the enemy comes. No, he comes in. He's strategic. Just like the lions, they go after in the animal channel. They, they don't go after the biggest gazelle. They go after the one with a little weakling. Because that's an easy meal. So he's looking for you right now. He's really strategic, and right now, this COVID time has us isolated. And you look like that limping gazelle. It's like, oh, there we go. There's a quick meal. They're isolated from community. They're being fed by this social media stream that's telling them what's beauty and what's not and what's good and what makes you valuable in the eyes of others. And he speaks into that. Um, let's be even more strategic. Let's look through this passage here. If you, if you look carefully, you'll see the enemy's strategy. And the, the way we'll know that is by what's repeated. As Satan tempts Jesus, what is the repeated phrase that he says? If you are the Son of God. So remember chapter 3, Behold, my beloved Son. Chapter 4, if you are that beloved son, if you are, think about that word if, okay? It's like the fulcrum of identity. And it's begging Jesus to prove that he is who it's already been spoken authoritatively who he is. You're my beloved son. Here comes Satan. All right, I know how to do this. I've been doing it from the beginning. If you are, feed yourself. Gratify yourself. Make this rock into bread. Instantaneous. Gratify yourself right away. Don't wait. If you are, Jesus, no, no, Jesus, it is written. It's written. I mean, God already said who I am. I don't have to prove it. But Satan's not done yet. He takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Do something. What do, you is do something spectacular. It'll wow the crowds and they'll just flock to you. If you are, do this spectacular thing. Jesus could have done it. But he's like, no. It's already been written. I, I am who I am because the Father spoke it over me. I'm going to do this in an ordinary way. I'm going to walk in my leathery sandals instead of flying all over the place. Um, finally, uh, the, the enemy, if you are the Son of God, you know, bow to me, worship me. Jesus, get away from me. It's written. You only worship God. 
So Jesus had this firm grasp. It was spoken in John, uh, Luke 3, and Jesus has this grasp on it. He's demonstrating how we do it. We cling to the truth. No, it's written. I'm not going to jump through your hoops. I'm not going to go into this workspace, autonomous functioning. I'm operating based on what the Father has said about me. You're beloved. You're my son. You're my daughter. You don't have to prove it. It's a love gift. And you notice as you look in the scriptures, it's, it's always like this. God's always graciously giving first. He gives Adam and Eve a garden, a beautiful life together. Gives them everything a person could ever want. Everything. But then they, they want to go for something else. I say, well, isn't God withholding from you? No. So there's this, there's this battle. And Jesus evades it by staying rooted in what is written. So there's this interpretation war going on based on the word if. So, so pay attention to that this week. When you hear the word if, if you're really a man, if you're really a woman, if you're really a person of value, if you're really beautiful, if you're really this, if you're really that. Uh-oh. That's, that's the enemy's voice. As Jesus doesn't say if. He says, since you are, go for it. Since you are, beloved. Go for it. Be awesome at your work. Be awesome at whatever you're putting your hands to. But do it since you are, not to get to that. Um, reading a little bit lately and reading The, the Hobbit, in the, in the Lord of the Rings, there's this slimy, pale creature. He lives under the misty mountain in the middle of a lake. And this creature you know is Gollum. And he's described as dark as darkness, except for those big, round, pale eyes and his thin face. And he's lost himself, and you can tell, right? Gollum is clearly a depiction of someone who has completely lost himself. And one reason you know this is because he cannot say the word I. You notice that? He can't, he can't say I. And he's a shell of who he once was as we learn, as we go on in the story. But how did he get this way? How did Gollum become such a shell of who he was meant to be? Well, he exchanged his identity for an object. The ring. So Gollum exchanged his identity for that ring, his precious. And this has been going on since the beginning. I mean, Adam and Eve, once again, they were tempted to go after that apple. They thought it would fulfill them, to gratify them, to make them more. Just, just watch, if I just grab onto this, if I get this one thing, you're going to see me in more glory. But what happens is they end up objectifying themselves. And if, Here, I'll explain what that means here. Uh, philosopher Peter Kreft describes this very scene. The object, the apple, grew into a god, and we shrank into its slaves. We exchanged places. We became the objects, and it became the subject, the I, the Lord, the God. We found our identity in what was less than ourselves, in something we could possess. And now he, Gollum, is the object, and his fetish is the subject. 
So when we ignore that authoritative voice and forget that there's a spiritual battle going on, we try to get glory through things. Like, I mean, anytime someone's reached out for more glory through an affair, they're, they're thinking in their heart somewhere, this is going to gratify me. This is going to give me the affirmation. This is going to give me that, that sense of glory that I know I'm, I'm, I'm made for. But what happens? It shrivels them. It gullimizes them. And they, became, they become a shell of what they were. And it's not just in these situations like an affair or something crazy or murder. It actually happens in very ordinary things like, like our schoolwork, I guess. That my, getting A's is going to make me glorious. Didn't God already say, behold, beloved, I'm well pleased with you. And whenever you take that good thing even and you turn it into the subject by putting all your affection on it, you become the object and you become a shell of who God is saying you are. It's a, work, it's a, it's a classic workspace righteousness. If I can only produce, if I can only build, if I can only measure up, then I'll have worth and value. But the gospel screams loud and clear. Your worth is based upon what Christ says about you. It's authoritatively spoken on you based on the perfect life and the death of Christ. So I want to ask you this again now. What are you making the subject of your life right now? What is galmizing you? What is that thing you're thinking, if I just get my precious, then we'll be all good? I clearly remember being single. I thought, if I get married, I will be gratified. I'll be satisfied. I think right now, I'll tell you what, I'm going to wrestle with this tomorrow. I think right now, if I preach well enough, if I'm a good enough pastor, if I become an amazing person at my work, then I will have value. And what I'm doing is I'm taking those good things and I'm doing just like Gollum and I'm calling them my precious. I know someone can do that voice in here right now. <laughs> There's a handful of Gollum, Gollum voices in here, I bet. But we're doing that. It's, and it's so crazy when you look at Gollum. He's such a great depiction of what happens in our inner man when we take that thing. Beauty. Whatever. There's lots of good things and we make that. If I could have that. Or maybe... If I could just get that, then I will be satisfied. It's a lie. Your identity is under attack. When you're thinking that, when you leave here today and you're trying to get approval from your spouse or your friends or someone that pushed like on, on a social media account, you have fallen into the trap. When you turn your hope and your affection and you think, if I get enough likes, if he looks at me, if she notices me, you're galmizing yourself. And God has already spoken authoritatively over you. He said, you are my beloved. Come on, I love you. I gave my only son. I had one. I gave him for you to get brutalized. He didn't have to do that for his good. It was an act of love. God's sufficient in himself. He could have gone on in glory forever and never entered into flesh and got called names and punched and stabbed and beaten and mocked and ridiculed and backstabbed. He didn't have to do that. That was a love act. 
It's a love story he was writing, the craziest love story you'll ever hear. And that's why it's hard to be a Christian, because could someone really do that? The reality is, though, if you're not believing this story, this is, this is what this says, that you, you have an identity. You're going to believe someone else's story. If you're not believing the scripture, what it says about you, you're believing someone else's script, a human philosopher, a television program. I saw a guy, one of my neighbors, he died once, and I was trying to share the gospel with him, but he believed what HBO told him about the meaning of the world through a history channel. And he rejected the gospel, and I pray that something happened in between then, but he listened to someone else's script, and, I, and, and there's only one authoritative script. We have to be intentional to cling to it. God says that we're made in his image, so you're made with glory, full of glory. C.S. Lewis said that if, uh, if, if someone could see who you truly are, they would be tempted to bow down and worship you. That's how gloriously you're made. If they could see your full, unhindered glory, what God's going to do when he glorifies you, they would be tempted to bow down and worship you. That's how glorious he made you in his image. That's what that means. Uh, you're made in his image. You're reflecting his greatness. Uh, you're his workmanship. You are his workmanship. Who you are right now, today, in the flesh. You're, you're, you're not c- completed yet, but you are his workmanship. It also says that you're children. You're not orphans. You don't have to act like a lad and run around stealing fruits and bread to, to fend for yourself. You are, you're in the fam. You're in the, the God mafia. You're, you're taken care of. You're provided for. You're beloved, 1 John 4, 7. And Jesus goes as far, I know that Jesus is the light of the world, but do you know that he says you are the light of the world? That's what he says about you. Get that tattoo. You are the light of the world. If you're going to get one. So unlike Jesus, we have each believed a lie. Unlike Jesus, we have each believed a lie that Satan spoke over us at an opportune time. We must resist and be intentional. Finally, we're looking at the fact that we need to be intentional and embrace our identity. So we, so point one, God's spoken authoritative. Point two, there's a battle. What he's spoken authoritatively over you is being competed for right now. And three, we're, I'm actually going to tell you how to be intentional and to embrace that reality. So in this passage, we see Jesus' uh, is continual response to the evil one, to those voices coming is, it is written. So it's not, it's not how I'm feeling. He didn't say, I'm feeling really good today. I'm feeling really loved by my Father. Uh, if you read the Psalms, you notice mostly the Christian experiences is a lament story. I feel miserable. I feel rejected. I feel like God's far. God, are you real? I feel despised. I feel like everyone else is doing well but me. I feel like the wicked people are doing awesome, and I'm, I'm hurting. Uh, that's what the Psalms tell us. Put your hope in God still, it says. So in this passage, Jesus' continual response is, I'm not feeling, not that I'm feeling great, but that it is written. It's established, just like adoption papers. If any of you have been adopted or know someone that's adopted, you don't have to prove that you're adopted. All you have to do is point to the papers that were written a long time ago. 
It's written. It's done. So, unlike Jesus, we each have believed that lie that Satan brought at an opportune time. But we must resist and be intentional with our true identity, with the authoritative voice that has spoken over us. But this, this is the problem. This is the obstacle. And this is what's going to give us the wisdom how to embrace it. It's this. It's the fact that we actually cherish our lies. There's these lies that have come in and said, your worth is based upon... Boop, or boop. Your worth is based upon um, your grades. Your worth is based upon your looks. Your worth is based upon how you feel. And the reason I say we cherish that is because we can do things about that, right? We, we, we stick, like, okay, I can get good grades. I'll just study harder. I'm, gonna, I'm cherishing that. I'm saying, okay, this is my method. This is my autonomous way of feeling okay with myself. I can eat. I can get better grades. I can take more time making myself look a certain way. I can get better Instagram filters to make me look like a Hollywood person who's doing the same thing as I'm doing. Uh, In order to be strategic, we have to realize, where am I cherishing my lies? What lies am I cherishing? Do you know that you cherish lies that are spoken over you right now? And you cherish them because you go to them time and time. They're familiar. You know what to do. You don't have to live in the tension of like believing something that you don't feel. You can just autonomously choose something and it feels nice and cozy. I'll, I'll expose myself a little bit as a pastor about how I've done this in the past. Um, some of you may not know, but I used to be the living room wrestling champion of the world. Okay, not of the world, but I was the living room wrestling beast growing up. Like, I don't look that strong, but like, I was often told, like, whoa, like, you're stronger than you look. Um, and the reason is this. I had a secret. And I think probably there's some professional athletes the same. I have a s- secret. When I went into that imaginary ring in that living room, in my mind, I was fighting for my dear life. If I, I knew that if I lost this match in this living room with a small audience around us, I knew that if I lost, my identity would be gone, and how could I bear to live with the fact that someone just saw me got pinned? So I would go, oh, I would slam people so hard, and people would just be so shocked because they weren't expecting a life or death fight. They're thinking some friends are wrestling in the living room, but I'm like, bam, rear naked chokehold, like tell you're gone. (laughs) But this is what was happening. I cherished that because it was my way of going into functional autonomy. This is my comfort zone. If I win this, then I can walk away feeling okay about myself. You know, maybe the best thing in the world would have been for me, maybe the best thing for me is to wrestle one of you guys and just let you win. And and then I can just no longer glory in in my my, uh, wrestling. I'm sure a lot of people could, but maybe the best thing for us would be to actually lose our grip in what we're getting our identity from. Maybe the best thing for you A students would be to get a B. Maybe the best thing for you who you can't leave the house until you're perfectly done up is to go is to go out um, before you feel like I've reached perfection. Maybe the best thing for you would be to lose control and have to say I'm resting on God's authoritative voice alone. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we don't go hard at our craft, that we don't try to look nice. Like, those things are all good, but the cart's before the horse when we need those things in order to feel beloved. It's a slap in God's face. He said, I love you. You're beloved before you wake up in the morning. So don't try to make yourself beloved uh, out of your sheer effort. That's workspace theology. And Martin Luther, the famous reformer, said this is the sum total, really, of the Christian walk. It's justification, believing that you truly are love on God's merit alone. But you'll see um, churches clearly preaching it's workspace, and your, you'll see your heart clearly preaching throughout the week works. You know, maybe my wife will finally love me when I, boom, when I'm fit, when I'm this, when I'm that, when, when I make this amount of money, when I reach this status and other people look at me when we walk into a room. That's a workspace theology. And what the gospel says is you can walk into a room as a royalty with dignity and humility any day of the week. It doesn't matter if you just faltered major Maybe if you just lost your job the day before. You walk in with dignity because you know what I like to call the wardrobe reality. In the Chronicles of Narnia uh, story, the kids enter into the wardrobe and they see things more clearly. They, they realize, oh, we're royalty. We're princes and we're, and we're queens. And they leave. It's hard to believe because the nanny's chasing them around the house. But the wardrobe reality, which is the faith life, is this. God says you're beloved. Right now. Before you get it. Before you achieve it. You're beloved right now. Who will grasp onto that? Who will be intentional to cling to this Christian truth? The foundation of what Jesus' life was all about. Who will cling to it? God's begging you to believe it. He's begging you to believe it. You're my beloved. Please stop fighting for it. I got it. I, I'm giving it to you. I didn't, I didn't set you free to be a slave. I set you free to be a, a real son and daughter. So, until we renounce the lies, and it's actually really good even just to intentionally do this. Maybe take some time, devotional journal, have a conversation with a friend. What, what do you think those things are in me? Let's, let's think about it together and talk about it and maybe spend time alone. What are those things? And write them down. I go for identity through my wrestling, through my work, through how my children behave, through my status at work, through how my wife looks at me, and then renounce it. I renounce that lie. My identity is, say it out loud, write it down, my identity is not based upon how I look in a given moment. My identity is not based upon how my spouse just treated me and it hurt so bad. My identity is not based upon my report card. My identity is not based upon the prestige of the current job that I have. I renounce that. Those are lies from the evil one. They're being spoken by him over me right now. I renounce it and I receive that I am a beloved child. And God is well pleased in me right now. Put away the strategies. Keep working hard. Do your best. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's builders labor in vain. So there is labor, but it's the Lord who builds it. 
Do you stay up all night, late at night, and you, and you deprive yourself sleep? That's what that psalm is saying. Do you stay up and deprive yourself sleep, and you're trying to work, and you're trying to earn it? And God says, no, it doesn't come. Like, that's you trying to build the house. You work really hard for the amount of hours that you've designated, and then you go to bed, and you let God do the magic of making that grow. And you rest under the sonship and daughtership that you have. The, Jesus is the, the coolest person you'll ever meet. And cool can't sum it up, but he's powerful. He's beautiful. He's amazing. If you could see him right now, you'd be like, it's everything I want to be. It's everything I want to be. And this is what he did. He came and he lived a very ordinary life for 30 years. Worked a blue-collar job. He knew that there was dignity in that. Worked with his own two hands. And then he got called into this ministry, which wouldn't be awesome. It'd be him being ridiculed and, and beaten and ultimately murdered in public. Uh, and, and on the cross, this, this theological term called the cry of dereliction, and Jesus says this mysterious thing. It's hard to even understand. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's a sense that in that moment, that Jesus lost his identity as that beloved son. Why? To give it to you. When he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He receives the forsakenness that we deserved so that the belovedness could be imported into anyone who says, I believe I'll believe what you say about me. That's why one of my heroes of the Bible is young Mary. I think she's probably a teenager. And Jesus comes to her and says the most, I mean, the Holy Spirit comes to her and says the most outstanding thing. It says, like, God is going to be born in your womb. Immaculate conception. And there's so many things you could say to that. Like, what? This is crazy. What? Hold on. Say that again. No, there's no way. But she does this remarkable thing that God is looking for in followers. And every follower of Christ, she says, let it be to your servant. Let it be to your servant, as you say. So, Jesus lost his identity for a moment in order that you would have an eternal identity before the Father. And I encourage you today just to simply say in your heart, let it be to your servant, as you will. Please pray with me. Let it be to your servants as you will, Lord. We are beloved. I am beloved. It feels so good to be on top, and it feels so right to be on top. But Lord, even when we're on the bottom, we just want to say in the face of all, all of the competing voices, I am beloved. Please forgive us for functional autonomy, for creating strategies to get love when you've given us everything we need. You've spoken authoritatively over us. Please now give us the grace to receive for a lifetime uh, our true identity in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.